1: Calm.
0: We made this. Ladies and gentlemen, it was a cold-blooded premeditated murder.
2: Hi everyone, and welcome to a new episode of the Red and Buried podcast. I'm Frankie. I'm Sarah. I'm And Kate. today... Oh, oh no, go for it, Kate, please. Yes. Yes. We've got the lovely Kate London with us today and basically she's now a third uh, host of the podcast because she's just fitted
1: in perfectly
0: with the flow. (laughs) Seamless, more professional. So if people start introducing themselves, I start saying, I'm so and so attached to such and such police station. Oh God, (laughs) I bet you've got some great stories. (laughs) (laughs) Like pulling out your ID card
1: and...
2: (laughs) Old habits die hard, I guess.
1: Yeah. Well... Well, on that note,
2: maybe let's just go straight into your bio to give people some context for why
1: <laughs> why you have this uh, predilection, Sarah. <laughs> okay, so, normal disclaimer. Frankie wrote this, Kate, so any problems with it, direct them at her.
2: Thank you, Sarah.
1: You're welcome. Kate is a former Metropolitan Police officer who served on the MPS's Homicide Command. Did I say homicide? Very American? No, that's right, homicide. No, okay. How else would you say it? home? I don't know. I watched far <laughs> too many like Law & Order's. Anyway, her previous novels have been praised for their authenticity as well as for her excellent writing. The first in the series was last year televised on ITV as The Tower, starring Jebba Whalen. Kate was closely involved in the adaptation. In her latest book, The Mispha, when Ryan Kennedy is imprisoned after killing a police officer, he knows what he must do. Keep his mouth shut about who he was working for, keep his head down and rely on his youth to keep his sentence short. When he gets out, he'll be looked after. Following the death in the line of duty of a fellow detective, D.I. Sarah Collins has left the capital for a quieter life in the countryside. But when a missing teenager turns up on her patch, she finds herself drawn into a much bigger investigation. One that leads her right back to London, back to the Met and back to Ryan Kennedy, the kid who killed a cop. This powerful novel explores the devastation that organised drug-running gangs can wreak on young lives. It asks who deserves to be saved and whether saving them is even possible. Outside of writing, Kate claims to be word-perfect on Finding Nemo. She is also refreshingly (laughs) open and honest on Twitter about the realities of writing, as well as incredibly kind and
0: supportive of other authors. Mm, That's nice. Thank you. Is it correct? Well, I hope so. I hope so. (laughs) Well, let's test it. Finding Nemo, let's yeah, go. No. <laughs> What's this about finding Nemo?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I saw your tweet to lovely Imran Mahmood yeah. about uh, knowing it. And yeah, I thought I'd just put that in there for fun. Because you, there is so much we could talk about with you, but that to me really stood out against everything else.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I have two now adult boys. So I watched a lot of mm-hmm. Pixar Fair enough. Um, I mean, for me, it's Mamma Mia. But I've actually dived well. in, scuba dived in Australia and seen Nemo for real. Oh, did you get and photos? No, we didn't have a camera with us when we saw the anemones and the clownfish. No, but I mean, they're, they're very cute. They, they do what <laughs> they, they, they do. Cute. Nemo's actually really good. It's really accurate about the reef. Oh, well, speaking about accuracy,
2: can we talk about... The Misper for a second, because I personally don't have a knowledge of the police world, obviously from what I've read and what I've seen on TV, but this feels very authentic, but in an accessible way. Uh, And obviously your background, we've talked a bit about you've come from uh, working in the world of of the police force. I'm just really, I'm always fascinated and curious when someone's an expert or has worked in a field for so long, how do you go about translating A very complicated procedural driven world to make it enjoyable and engaging for a layman such as Sarah and I.
0: (laughs) I think for me that that stuff isn't really the main thing. The main thing is the story and the characters Mm. and anything procedural just serves the story. It's not there to be there. It's just that's the, if you like, that's the, going back to Nemo, that's the water that the characters swim in. (laughs) It's like knowing about the reef. And, I mean, the other side of it was that I very much wanted to tell the story of the young people caught up in county lines, not just about the police. And I think, I mean, I did a lot of research in that area. So, you know, there's a few people who who are anonymous who've helped me with that side of things. I'm not so bothered about Hmm. authenticity with policing stuff. Do you think it's kind of inherent? I think authenticity is more about the feel of something. It's more about, does the world feel authentic and feel real? I think also, though, I would imagine there
1: are quite few people reading it, it who would know if it was authentic. to It feels authentic to a layperson, like we said, right. and that's kind of all you need, right? Also, it wouldn't be that engaging if you're writing every little, filled out this bit of paperwork and... Spent six hours trying to yeah, find this. Yeah. You know. watch, just watch
0: twenty-four hours of CCTV of yeah, people going in yeah. and out of lifts. Yeah, it would be not ideal to make that interesting. <laughs> you can't even fast forward, can no, you? No, that. because if you miss something, it's very serious. So you really do have to watch these people going in and out of lifts. Mm. Wow, God! I
1: suspect being an author might be slightly more exciting. Well, exciting is probably not the right word, but. Um, yeah, what made you make the switch from leaving well, I mean, policing? Most of, I
0: mean, a lot of policing isn't isn't so dull as watching people going in and out of lifts on CCTV. <laughs> I mean, I really, really liked policing. I found it really interesting, mm. and and to say every day is different is an understatement. I miss it. Mm. I think I'll always miss it. It's just very, very different. I got a book deal, and I had young children at the time and they wanted more than one book. And also I felt like, although The Met might have allowed me to carry on writing, I felt that it was possibly going to be a conflict of interest if I was working on life. But you know, when you work on homicide inquiries, you're also just, it's hard enough to live your life and have your family life. To add to that, trying to deliver books, it, it just didn't feel possible to continue. But it mm. it wasn't easy to to give it up. I was enjoying it.
1: Yeah,
0: and hardcore area of the police force as well. I mean, well, in some ways, it's easier than borough policing actually, because the problem with borough policing is that you have crimes that are much less well resourced, but that can become very mm. serious. So you can take something called a Section Eighteen GBH to Crown Court and be the only officer working on it. In the initial stages, you'll have support, but then you'll be the only officer mm. who's looking after it. You might have eight witnesses, five suspects, CCTV, witness protection issues, all sorts of things. And you've got to tie that all together yourself. Whereas on a murder mm. team, you'll have a whole team who will have responsibilities for different aspects mm. of the case. You're just much better resourced. I think yeah. I think it's a real problem. You know, that resourcing yeah. borough policing is a huge issue. Mm.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, um, I mean the the county line stuff as well is so topical at the moment, right? It's it's a county a lines issue. is so
0: complex and tragic and interesting and mm. serious. It's a very serious crime. Um, yes. It's networked into international criminal operations. You know, mm. it's serious and organized crime. County lines, uh, huge sums of money involved. Mm. You know, networking with drug dealers abroad and so on. Linked to firearms, linked to very serious crime. But then on the up close and personal level, it's children and vulnerable people yeah. who are yeah. the front line of the selling of the drugs. And and it was a very, very rich topic to write about. And as soon as I had I did a lot of research and I talked to a lot of people from all different aspects mm-hmm. about their experience of county lines. But when it came to writing, I actually found it quite it flowed quite easily because I felt the character the central character of Leif, who is groomed, and mm. his mother, just they felt so real to me and so alive to me that it was quite easy to write them. I felt for them and I felt so much for the girl who's also caught up in to me they were very clear.
1: Yeah. It may have all come together, but did you set out to was your initial idea about starting this book around someone who had killed a police officer or did it come from I'd like to write something around the county lines issue and
0: and and all that stuff because obviously it's in the news quite a lot what's so brilliant at the moment may it continue is that now I've got these characters up and running Mm. they're very easy to to write for so when I got my first book deal I got a two book deal tell me if I'm being boring No. no not at all and I knew that I wanted to write the kind of thing where the characters develop in every book. They don't stay in the same place. And I also knew that I didn't want them... I don't know whether you're fans of The Wire, but I loved The Wire. And Mm. one of the things that The Wire did was it each series had like a different area of policing. So I thought, well, I've done lots of different areas of policing. And I thought, I'll Mm. just move my characters through. And when they reach the end of the progression that feels real for me, I'll stop writing the books. And so because each book gives each character something new to deal with, something new to process, and also like police officers do, they move on in their careers. It just naturally gives them this progression. Mm -hmm. So I knew that County Lines was very rich. It was a very rich subject. And I knew that I wanted to move Sarah Collins out of the Met. I knew that I wanted her to work in a county force. And so it just kind of, it was like a nice, happy coincidence. It just all came together happily. Yeah. And actually, I feel like there's another, easily another book in the series for them moving on from this book. Because again, Excellent. there's so much that they have to resolve <laughs> and there's so much happening and decisions that they all have to make.
2: Is that a new announcement in the series that I, we're I, getting? I mean, <laughs> I'm not
0: sure. I'm actually writing something else at the moment that's a standalone that's set Ooh. in 1984, which is, oh, touch wood. I think it's coming together, but... I don't find writing easy. I'm not somebody who writes easily. Mm. There's a lot of sort of thinking and mulling over things and so on. So I, don't, I wish I was better at that. I wish. And I when I look at other authors on social media and so on, they seem much better at moving on and all of that. And I find all of that, to be honest, really difficult. I find the promotion stuff really difficult. And you know, but I actually do love writing. I do love being mm. with my keyboard.
2: Yeah. You seem like someone who relishes a challenge and likes a difficult job i think going from policing which i don't doubt is incredibly difficult and stressful at times but incredibly rewarding kind of is similar to how you feel about writing where it's hard work but worth it for the rewarding feeling you must get as a result
0: i think the rewards in policing are more obvious yeah you you get (laughs) you've got a few jobs that you look back and you feel real satisfaction about that you've delivered a good service to people And and you can almost measure that. Although you always have the thing of intractable, intractable lives. You know, if you work on a murder, the person's still murdered at the end of the investigation, even if you get a guilty finding. And if you send people to prison, you know, well, you know, where does that go? But I think with books, it's more intangible. And you get moments where you think, oh, yes, I'm really satisfied with this. I'm really pleased with this. But you also get lots of moments where you feel like, There are other writers that you read who you think are just so amazing and, you know, can you really, you know, you're always trying to reach, to reach to write better and and so on.
1: Well, one of the questions that we ask each author we speak to, or two of the questions, is what you enjoy most and least about the writing process. Uh, So I'm really interested to hear your answer because we find there's quite an, I'd say, frankly, a fairly even split between people who love the planning and then the people who love the writing and a couple of odd ducks, I think, who love the editing process.
0: Yes. I love <laughs> editing. I, um <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I kind of like it all. I think there's a moment which I think I'm touching wood massively is happening with this book that I'm writing at the moment, where I suddenly get like a deeper understanding of the characters. And then I I feel like I'm writing better because I'm not writing something. I'm writing something deeper and I'm realizing, I'm realizing, oh, I'm so inarticulate, but I'm realizing what it is about them and how I have to motivate them and how they have to move and so on. And I I sometimes have this thing that I had with Fat Elaine. I don't know whether you know about Fat Elaine in Death Message, and she carries on through the books. And I love her. She's one of my favorite characters. But Mm. I had a scene with Death Message with her where she was going to, Sarah Collins was going to speak to her and set her right. And as I was writing it, my fingers just kind of went stiff and Fat was like, I'm not saying that, I'm saying <laughs> this. And, yeah. and she just sort of gave Sarah Collins what for. And I just love that feeling when the characters get, somehow they get an autonomy that mm-hmm. they become, to me, more alive. more. But, so I love that moment. And, you know, they, I feel they make me laugh and I feel compassion for them that's Mm. what I'm looking for. Mm. What I hate is the bits where I feel, I think I've got better at this. But for me, there's a bit where I get completely stuck. And I've learned not to try and write when that happens, because I kind of sit down at the keyboard, and my hands don't really move. And it's like, if I do write something, it's just so that I can say I've written words, and I can't actually get a 1000 words out, I can't do it. And I've Mm. learned that that means that I need to go away and let something else. sounds so pretentious, but that's how I work. No. I need to go away and let something else that I don't really understand happen in the background. And and then sort of it will come to me. I have to trust that that will happen. But it's always frightening. It's always the question is, will it? Will it come? Will it come?
1: How long is the longest period that that's lasted? Like are we talking hours
0: or days or...? (laughs) I think I've got better at understanding the process, uh under, being comfortable with that and letting it happen. But it is very painful. It's a very painful thing. And I'm I'm conscious of letting people down when I'm in that bit. You know, my publisher and my agent and, you know, now the television company. I'm conscious that I am a professional writer. It's it's not my job to not deliver, you know. So it's quite just kind of quite panicky like oh is it gonna happen is it gonna yeah. work but then it's so satisfying when it doesn't work and it's just so lovely when you send a book out and people say they like it it's like oh my god
1: yeah
0: yeah uh kate
2: i really like your book oh, thank you truly yes <laughs> yeah <It's so> fantastic <laughs> I really enjoyed it honestly yeah. i'm not just saying that for the moment honestly and i think i think as i say, I, we mentioned in the bio that i we now established that i wrote I think that you are, I love how honest you are about how difficult it is sometimes and how social media paints a beautiful picture of, oh, I'm writing at my desk and the genius is flowing and everything's perfect. And actually it's bloody hard, especially some days, weeks, months even, you know? So I think it's incredible how honest you are.
0: It's not, I mean, I think also, I think it's also different for different people. And I think some people, I mean, like, I don't know whether you know Cat Diamond, but I think she just flows. Mm -hmm. I think she just sits down and she just flows. She just, and I think Dickens was probably like that. You know, Dickens was incredibly prolific and he wrote a lot. He must have written really quickly. Yeah, but you don't have much else going on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So uh, I think it's different for different people, but yeah, not easy. I don't find it easy, but I do love it. And I have always written, I wrote as a child. I was one of those people. I wrote little stories under a table and, you know.
2: And what inspired you to get into the police force?
0: Well, I'd been in the theatre for a long time and I was, had kids, very young kids. And then I was teaching a lot because it was too hard to do theatre with young children. I couldn't go on tour. And I was on a board, a statutory board, and the chair of the board was a former chief constable. And I got talking to him and I got quite close to him. We had a lot of business. We worked a lot together together. And I said to him, I've always been really interested in policing. I'd have quite liked to have been a police officer. And he said, well, you must go and do it. You'd be really good. And I did it. Oh, I mean, it was like, from my background, people didn't join the police. People didn't, you know, nobody from Cambridge joined the police. And my dad was a sergeant in the RAF. We traveled around the world as kids. So I did have something of that sort of being brought up on Air Force bases and, a, you know, it's quite tough being a forces kid. And I wasn't an officer's kid, I was a sergeant's kid. Um, so I did have some of that inside me, but it was like I didn't really dare to admit to wanting to foot chase people and catch them. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I joined, I was amazed. It was as soon as I was operational, as soon as I got on borough, I was like, oh, yeah, I, I, this, is, this works for me. I enjoyed it, I found it interesting, found it difficult and challenging. Yeah. Good. Speaking of challenging, and this is
2: probably the hardest hitting I'm capable of getting with my questions. Today, particularly in recent times, trust towards the police, particularly the Met, is a little bit on the, shall we say, on the shaky side. Understatement. Yeah. Very low. Yeah. 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 And so, I mean, how do you approach writing police procedurals in, in in this time when Trust for the police, particularly the Met, is at a low, shall we say, and there have been some very high-profile cases that have really brought that to the surface. Is it on your mind or is it just more about the characters, you say, and bringing those people to life? Well,
0: I think, you know, you've read my book. I think you'll, you'll know that then that, that, that my police are not simply heroes. They're, mm-hmm. they're yeah. complex. And again, I think the, the why is like that. I think the why you have some police are great, some police are lazy, some police are corrupt. And I think my books are like that. And I think I think that's mirrored by the people that they deal with. You know, you feel sympathy for some of them. You feel less sympathy for others. I've thought a lot. I mean, I'm very, you know, still passionate about police AI. I still care about it. But I also, you know, am as horrified as everybody else by discovering that, you know, people were allowed to continue to, you know, that. Wayne Cousins's nickname was the Reapist. Yeah. I, I, mean, I know I'm yeah. as horrified as anybody else about that. A very interesting book if for people who are interested in reading about policing is is Jackie Moulton's new book. I don't really about, know about Jackie Moulton. She was the um she was the police officer that Linda LaPlante spoke to for Prime Suspect.
1: Oh, and
0: wow. she had an she had an amazing career because she was a leading female officer when they were very rare and she was a senior investigating officer on homicide so she had an incredible career in the 80s as a woman Mm -hmm. um, and her book's really good you see somebody with integrity navigating a sexist uh, institution and not everybody I mean not everybody in it is sexist not everybody in it is racist you know it just isn't the case and I do think I think we're all dealing with culture wars across every single subject. And I think policing is terribly affected by culture wars and I don't think it's good for anybody. I don't think it's good for the police and I don't think it's good for the communities. Yeah, You know, I, we have to find a different way to talk to each other. I certainly can't come up with as You can hear me stuttering. Not at all. What are you thinking? <laughs> simple explanations and simple...
2: There aren't any simple explanations, are there?
0: But I have to say that a lot of people are working very hard and are incredibly dedicated and incredibly passionate about giving a good service to the police and mm-hmm. to the communities and yet yeah, there are some people who need to go
1: yeah it's the case in most massive institutions isn't it as you or say it's everywhere institutions yeah
2: We had um, Tim Logan on recently, and he was saying, you know, the representation of the press, for example, has been taking a real beating in the last few years. I think culture wars are everywhere, and, you know, systemic change is needed across society, not just in policing. It's everywhere.
0: But I think, you know, I think if you think of any controversial subject now, what you'll see is you'll see the people who hold very extreme views on either side being given a platform, and that it's always been very difficult for me on Twitter because I'm not prepared to say, I go this or go that. And so I don't get liked and retweeted by police officers who are like, yes, you tell them. I don't get similarly liked and retweeted by me. You know, I'm not going to say that the police are systemically racist. I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say some police are racist. I'm going to say society struggles with institutional racism That's mirrored in the police. It's more serious in the police because police have powers of arrest and they're often policing communities that don't look like them. It's very complicated. But I'm not going to be sort of on either extreme. Mm. I'm going to be saying it's complicated, and I'm going to be saying there are other factors too. There's poverty. Poverty is a massive factor in crime. Um, So, like some people will say, well, just look at the people who are carrying knives. People carrying knives in in the counties are white. And the links mm-hmm. to their criminality are poverty, just as they are in the yeah. and, and a lack of hope and a lack of aspiration. Mm. You know, so well, I'm, I'm not very good at this stuff. I come out. I you're doing great. Bite. Honestly, it's a
2: really complicated issue. I think you're, you've answered it perfectly. And I think it also relates perfectly to the characters in your book, you know, children in gangs and how that comes to be is from positions of hardship and poverty. But, you know, it's it's a difficult thing to navigate. And how did you, I mean, with the, the, the gang representation in your books, in, in, in this book in particular, with uh, the characters we talked about with Ryan, how did you go about researching that aspect of it?
0: Well, Ryan, to me, is a completely real person. And, and I arrested him and I know who he is completely. I know that boy. And the other really strong influence I had on me was a couple of murders where, the victim was very, very young and had been caught up in drug dealing. And I had children the same age. And there's a description in gallastree Lane of one of these boys dead. And I say in it, I say something like, he looks like you could just blow on him, blow onto, into his face. And he would get up from the slab and he would run away because he's so perfect. He's so fit. He's so young, but he has a little stab wound in his Eye, which has punctured the artery and he's bled out at the scene. So I was trying to write about my very direct experience of these boys as being both really vulnerable children, but also capable of great harm, great harm mm-hmm. that they might not even understand they were doing. And also wanting yeah. to show the, the progression from being a vulnerable boy. To at what point do they stop being a vulnerable boy and they become somebody older, more frightening? And the terrible thing with county lines is that the vulnerable boy then becomes the boy who grooms the other boys. You know, yeah. So I, mean, I think, again, Dickens is really good on this in Oliver Twist. Mm. He has Bill Sykes and Nancy, and they are graduates of Fagin's boys. So they've started as child pickpockets, and Bill Sykes ends up a murderer. And Nancy's a groomer. Yeah, and what's completely. happened to him. And Nancy's a prostitute. Well, all of these children are victims of sexual abuse. In addition to everything else in county lines, they're victims of sexual abuse often. You know, what happens to those boys and girls and what do they become?
1: Mm. Is that really uh, interesting? It's probably the wrong word because it's desperately sad, actually. But is that, like you said, the question of when does the victim stop being the victim and you lose all sympathy because they've done something bad. That's what has been created
0: for them and I think as well that thing about can we can we save them is Mm. is it possible to intervene in such a way yeah I mean I think the thing with the MISPA is that it's a book it's a story you have this backdrop but what you have is is not a sort of it's not somebody like now giving an interview talking about the complexity of crime it's more seeing those people and seeing their responses and seeing what happens and it's a story, you know, it's a drama, it's a, it's a fiction. And I think that's what I wanted to do. I felt very compelled to write about this world, these stories, this, it's a very compelling world, I think, for me. Mm. And us, as readers.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Can it be quite tricky to kind of switch off at the end of the day when you've been writing something quite um, heavy all day? Is it easy for you to turn off that switch and be like, right, family life, putting that away for the day?
0: I think one of the things is that there is humor in the books. People are funny mm. yeah. in them, like they yeah, are in yes. policing. policing is funny. there is laughter. People say, "Oh, you need to protect yourself." but there is you know funny stuff happens mm. of course. And I think it's quite cathartic. I think I've said in a few interviews that I started writing when I was in the police. My intention was not to write at all when I joined the police. I was never going to yeah. write ever again, having written quite a lot in the theater. But the, the sort of motivation to write was that it was like a catharsis for me, instead of going and getting pissed. It was sitting down and writing sort of helped me to process those things. Mm. And it's like I feel so passionate about those people and those worlds and those stories that to write the stories, I'm not a politician. I'll never be a politician. I'll, but I can write about those worlds and bring them to life. And I, I don't know, I find that quite healing. I, I find writing Leif's story and his mother's story, and I really related to his mother's story because I'm a mother. I've had boys. I feared. For my boys,
1: yeah,
0: it's a it's a wonderful thing to write.
1: Well, that's actually very very lovely to hear.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of your characters uh, and the world that you've created, we like to ask uh, the authors that come on if you had to be a character from one of your books, who would you be and why?
0: Well, I always reply to. That. I mean, it's actually you know it's a thing people ask you, and I, it was particularly me because I've written two female police officers, and people say, which one are you? And I always say, yeah. I think an author is all of their characters. I think you're at all of them, because if you can get inside their heads, they, mm. you know. I think Kieran has a lot of fun in the first, you know, he enjoys life. I think Lizzie enjoys life. She's on the front of her foot. I always describe her as somebody who, if there's a foot chase, she's always going to catch the guy. She's never going to be the, you know, and she's going to enjoy catching the guy and she's going to enjoy <laughs> showing off that she was fast and that she got the handcuffs on. There is a side of me that's like Sarah. I was very proper, you know. I did. I was very <laughs> by the book, and I took the law seriously, and I learnt it and studied it, and so on. But it's probably more fun being Lizzie than being Sarah. Yeah, <laughs> well, I wouldn't want to be it. responsible for the stuff she's responsible for. I wouldn't like to made the <laughs> mistakes she's made. No, no. no. I wouldn't want to be lonely like Sarah Collins. No, yeah, and I wasn't lonely true. in the Met. You know, I mean, when we talk about policing. And I was very by the book. I was very committed to the communities and committed to trying to give a good service. I really cared when I worked on a domestic violence unit. And I had lots of friends. I wasn't like the square that nobody wanted to be with. You know, <laughs> other people related to that. They wanted to work with me. But good. Sarah's very lonely. Yeah. Sarah on this Sarah. Sarah, Sarah Collins. <laughs> Not this oh, Sarah. Oh, no, she is too. Sarah Collins. <laughs> I mean, she's probably lonely because I think she's... That's her character. She finds it hard to... Yeah.
1: And who knows? Maybe that'll change in another book. Like She's got see. a lovely
0: girlfriend in the mispair. There you yeah. go. Oh, the yeah, exactly. And I was going to say. Yeah, and that's nice to write.
1: She might make more friends. And... She's growing, isn't she? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. It's nice to see. It's nice. To see. I always like it when in crime books, because I think we, we talked to Nikki French a little while ago, and they always say that sometimes you get... You almost feel like the characters know they're in a crime story because it's just endlessly heavy yeah, yeah, and relentless. Absolutely, absolutely. So when you get moments of joy for a character and real humour, as you say, and finding a, a beautiful girlfriend for a character, yeah, yeah. that's what makes it makes it not so miserable and gives you actual hope for oh. for the not only for the characters, but for the story and makes it real, like you say, because everyday life isn't just intense. Misery, even in any line of work, there's no, got to be right. hopefully that's right. some joy. And if you read
0: Jackie Malton's book, she's, you know, she was again very passionate, very by the book, and has very good friends in policing and is very well liked in policing. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really true that when you're writing crime, you have to look and find those moments of happiness and joy and funniness. And there's a bit where Leaf sits on the thing and they just talk rubbish. And that's like a little moment of joy for Leif, you see. Yeah. And there's a bit where Leif goes home and he sees his little brother and his little brother's really small and he's got a spelling test with B's in and they start yeah. saying, bosoms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's just like they capture their innocence, they recapture their innocence and their joy together and they laugh. If you make it all dour and dark, nobody's gonna to want to read it. And it is isn't like yeah. real life as well. Real life isn't all no. miserable. Thank God.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no. no. Um, I can't wait to read that book. It sounds absolutely fascinating. And on a related question, what was the last book that you have read and loved? Oh gosh. You can give us more than one answer. We are always happy to add to our TBRs.
0: Well, I mean reading is the life source isn't it it's what you get your stuff from it's what you get your inspiration from as I say I'm reading at the moment the real prime suspect which is Jackie Morton's book which I'm really enjoying yeah we're getting that for sure I mean for for crime fans it's a really interesting book because she is the model for Jane you know Jane Tennyson she Mm. is the real thing I am right. Read, I can't remember the title. I think it's called no, Ordin- no Ordinary Day or A Day Like No Other, which is about the, the murder of WPC Fletcher. Who
1: oh, was
0: right. killed outside the, um, the embassy, the Libyan embassy. She was shot, mm. which, again, is very interesting. It's very interesting to hear the details of it. It's actually an extraordinary story, the death of peace, WPC Fletcher, but also the lengths that her friend and colleague John Murray has gone to to try and find out who killed her. try to bring them to justice it's it's really an extraordinary story and now my mind's gone blank (laughs) okay I've been reading short stories I do like short stories and I think Mm. when you're writing short stories are often quite good because it's quite hard to hold on to a novel maybe I've been rereading Mystic River have you read Mystic River Dennis no yes uh yeah I mean he's just brilliant he's just a brilliant writer but I've also been reading completely unrelated to crime stuff. I've been reading short stories I read. Liberation Day, George Saunders. Oh. He's got a brilliant short story at the beginning of that, which is a grandfather writing to his grandson. Oh, that's such a good, such a good short story. Yeah. I was like, There's such a skill to
2: writing short stories. I would
0: like to write more of them. I've got, I've had one published. Yeah.
2: You started in them, didn't
0: you? Yeah. I just don't have the time to write them but I, I love them. Yeah. I love short. Do you, do you read, do you write short stories? I have done.
2: Um, yeah, I, I, I love, I love, I love anthologies. I love the nature of picking it, dipping in and out of stories and say so there's such a skill to writing a short story. I always in Marvel. It's after, like an so, in yeah. between a novel and a poem,
0: isn't it? A short story. Yeah. And they can carry so much in them. Then they're like, It's like a very strong perfume And they can be so different What you can do with a short story Is so different between Mm. short stories Yeah, brilliant That's a fair
1: few decent recommendations How do you get the time to Read so much Produce (laughs) the work you do Have two sons Is it two sons? Well they're adults now, they're adults I doubt that means that they're much less hassle for you
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean the thing that's hard at the moment My mum's very ill that's that's very hard yeah I'm very 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 sad it's a very sad Um, sad thing I'm really lucky I'm really lucky I I get I get paid enough to do this job so Mm. I've got no excuse not to be reading or writing that's my job and I have to be interested in the world that's my job it's my job to be interested in the world which is just really really lucky
2: (laughs) It is luck, but it is also there's an element of luck, but also talent, skill, and hard work that goes with that. Well, the only thing
0: I would say to people is that the thing I've really struggled with is confidence all my life. Mm -hmm. And what really makes a difference is if you actually do work. And I was speaking to somebody recently who I think is very talented, but isn't very good at actually producing and finishing work. And to me, that's almost like a political issue because. Often you find there's a correlation between a lack of confidence and education, race, class, all of those things. Mm. And the more you work, the better you'll get at something. There is simply the thing of doing something a lot. And and yes. I, I've just always really, really struggled with confidence. You know, it's always been an issue for me. And I feel really sympathetic. I don't think people are just lazy. And my partner says... Laziness usually masks something else. It masks a lack of confidence, a fear, that kind of thing. And I think there's a, I think there's an element of truth that because I find it's always, always hard for me to start, to to actually start the day, yeah. to start writing is always difficult. And then when I when I do it, the moment I start, I think, oh, I enjoy this. This is this is <laughs> I like this. <laughs> Maybe I'm quite good at this. When I I'm yeah. You know, I mean. The television is extraordinary. It's an extraordinary thing. It's a really positive thing for me. It's wonderful knowing the actors. It's wonderful working with Patrick. It's wonderful working with Mammoth Screen. They're incredibly generous and welcoming and kind to me and stuff. But sometimes I look at it, you know, when we're filming or we're working on scripts or whatever, and I look at it and I think, I can't believe they're doing my books. (laughs) I wrote this story. You know, these are my writers. It is amazing. And they're... Gemma Whelan is Sarah Collins to hear. Yeah, her, that's it's, incredible. It's, it's, it's extraordinary.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Perfect casting. Yeah. Really Truly good. Perfect. Really good. Yeah. Amazing. Well, Kate, I'm afraid we've reached the point in our conversation where I have some terrible news to deliver to you. I'm afraid. I'm really sorry about this. Okay. <sighs> I, I, I dread it every time. Um, but unfortunately, it's up to me to tell you that uh, you've committed a terrible crime, Kate London. Okay. So terrible, so heinous in nature that they've reinstated the death penalty just for you. Oh, no, yeah, it must be
0: very bad, bad, right?
2: Very bad. That's mm. actually the first part of this question: is what have you done, Kate London, to to warrant well, this in response? In Singapore,
0: all I'd need to do is deal drugs. Okay, they've just executed a woman in Singapore for dealing drugs. Oh, yeah. it's horrendous. Truly horrendous. I mean, for me, you know, in all seriousness, Frankie, and I, I hate to be a downer after I've said we need to be funny and stuff, but no, I dealt with such serious crimes uh, that when you say that, my heart sinks. I'm so, so sorry. I did not trigger anything. That would incur, because you're in England to incur a really serious penalty. Like even if you murder, you don't get, you don't get life means life. So the murders no. that I've worked on where life means life. People have killed children and things like that. I mean, it's awful. Yeah. So it's difficult for me to answer. I want to be fun and say, I don't know, I've shoplifted from Tesco's. <laughs> Let's go with Tesco. Yep. Say so okay, you were okay, wrongly that's the
2: convicted
1: dope. for shoplifting from Tesco. <laughs> Although, to be honest, I have full faith that you could probably get away with it, Kate. I so think she could. There's a flaw yeah. in this. But anyway...
2: <laughs> no, and we always, when we do this question, we're always very aware that it's actually a very serious issue. And it's very, we don't trivialize it in any way. We don't, we don't intend to. It's just a device to we're find rubbish. out no what you you It's
0: why I'm rubbish at social media.
2: No, 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 no! It is a very serious thing, and there are people on death row in some countries, and it's very horrifying. You know, we don't want to make light of that in any way, shape, or form. It's just a silly device for us yeah. to find out basically what you like to eat and what your favorite book so is. So, what would my so meal apologies.
0: Is what you're saying?
2: That was the long way of me, the long-winded, silly way of me asking you, okay What would your What would your final meal be if you had to pick?
0: Well, I think what I'd choose to do before I was murdered, oh. killed, uh, executed would be I'd choose to go swimming. Okay. And I'd cho- or I'd, the best possible thing is I'd choose to go scuba diving, which for me is heaven on earth. I've just been scuba uh, diving in Australia, and i scuba dived with sharks and turtles Nemo. and octopus, and I, that's what I would choose above food any day of the week. Wow. Uh, food-wise, I probably wouldn't be able to eat.
2: You can have a seafood platter after that dive. Oh, no,
0: no, no. <laughs> Couldn't eat the cranky. <laughs> um, I don't know. I love food. I, I wouldn't be able to choose Persian food or. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Some lovely hummus and tahini and the food that mm. Drews make is really lovely full madamas and all that stuff. Mm. Yeah. Perfect post
2: diving food. And then good really, good okay.
0: yeah, really good coffee. Okay.
2: Really good coffee. How do you like your coffee? What's your preference? Do you have a a certain bean or I don't know much about coffee?
0: I am a dictator on coffee. I will not (laughs) drink it if it's not good. It's a real issue for me. Um, So I like it. It has to be like properly I've got one of those machines that you, not a machine, but one of those things you do up. Old-fashioned Italian one that you put on the stove. Oh, like mocha pot or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Hot milk. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very, very controlling about my coffee okay okay well maybe we'll let you make your own coffee I think so yeah (laughs) Yeah. maybe what they'll let me do on death row is they'll let me make my coffee before I go after scuba diving yeah I like scuba diving and actually what I'll do is I'll secretly swim off (gasps) I'll escape I'll have somebody waiting for me one of my ex-police mates will be waiting for me on a rib and I'll surface and I'll get on the rib and we'll speed off across the barrier reef (laughs) to a coffee shop with good coffee to another hut on the beach where we've got our own coffee machine wow wow,
1: amazing well i mean (laughs) if that fails and it's a big Mm. if because i think you could do it bulletproof
2: plan yeah yeah,
1: (laughs) you can take one book with you as well to the afterlife what book are you taking with you oh gosh that's a difficult one isn't it
0: which book oh god there's so many yeah um,
2: we ask the hard questions on the Red and Buried podcast, Kate. <laughs> I think
0: it's Anna Karenina. Ooh, It's a long book. Yep. So there's lots yeah. you can go back on. It's not perfect, but you could miss those bits out, couldn't you? Yeah. It's some of the description of Karenina and Vronsky and how she falls in love with him. And they're so young and they are fooled by desire. Mm-hmm. And then how she is with her husband and how they hurt each other unnecessarily and people make bad decisions ah oh, so brilliant beautifully beautiful and he's such an amazing observer of of life tolstoy so probably that but difficult i've to take a bag a of books with me They'll still just weigh you down in the water, That's though. You've got to be careful. That's true, and they will get wet. Yeah. Although I have heard that some divers, when they're decompressing, I d- I'm not that good a diver, I don't do that kind of diving. But apparently they read books when they have to do their decompression. So if they have to spend like 20 minutes decompressing, they read a book in the water and then they put it in a plastic bag and hmm. they keep it wet until they finished it, apparently. It's Interesting. amazing, huh?
2: I've seen you can yeah. get those little bags for your Kindle, so you can read in the bath in case you drop it. You know, it's something well, like that. Good maybe. My Kindle's
1: waterproof now, Frankie. Good do They need oh, a bag.
2: Technology, yep. my god, Incredible. wonderful stuff.
1: Well, Kate, thank you so
2: much for talking to us. It's been genuinely really fascinating, and yeah. the Misba is such a fantastic
0: book. Am I right in thinking it's out in August? Yes, I think it's August the sixth. I'm a bit vague on these things. The paperwork Perfect. we got. The- August the third, but that could be out no, of I, mean, now. I don't know. Early August. Let's go <laughs> with early, early August. August. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Nice. Good catch. catch you for talking
1: to me. I've really enjoyed oh, it. Any time. Absolutely oh, I'm so fascinating. Glad. Thank you. Say thank you for writing the MISPA I mean, fantastic. Thoroughly really, enjoyed great. it.
2: Where can people follow you online? I know you hate social media,
0: but, <laughs> but where can I don't people hate find it. you? I just, I don't hate <laughs> it. I just think I'm not very good at it. You're great. So I'm on Facebook, Kate London author I'm on Twitter as long as it continues to exist which is Kate London which is K with an eight London I am recently on Instagram but oh (laughs) somebody's helping me with it and I can't understand the app I don't know how it works and see that's me with Twitter if you're interested in what I'm thinking about Twitter's probably the best and I I think I think I'm calmest on Facebook because I just sort of say hello everybody and the people (laughs) who follow me on Facebook tend to be people who've read all of the books and are quite warm and they're interested. And yeah, so probably Twitter and Facebook are the best places for me.
1: Amazing.
0: Yeah, good.
2: I think it's always that thing where authors, your whole thing is writing books. It's not about self-promotion. So it's a very unnatural thing. And I completely understand how awful it is to have to do all of that, but unfortunately a necessary evil. It is necessary. And but for the um,
0: record, uh, I think you're great at uh, it. Um, actually, so. i I don't want to sound like I don't admire the people who are good at it because I think you know if you look at somebody no. like Jane Case, it's a skill. She has an absolutely brilliant Twitter account. She's naturally mm. good at it, and she's naturally warm and honest and helpful and interesting. Claire McIntosh is another one who's incredibly good at it. Yes. It's it's not that I don't admire it. I wish I was good at it. I'm just not. <laughs> you're, you're far too hard on yourself, Kate. I think said you're the fantastic. Same thing. He said, "I just discovered that some people are good at Twitter, and I'm not one of them." <laughs>
2: <laughs> I love John Ronson.
0: I love John Ronson. I mean, that's another person to read, isn't
1: it?
2: Yeah, oh, and everything <laughs> by him, and his latest podcast series is he's fantastic. Oh, fantastic. I mean,
0: his stuff about the culture wars—everybody should listen yeah. to that. It's so completely good. agree. Oh, I feel like, I, and so I feel like I should really know you. You do now. <laughs> So
2: we're in this is it now you're stuck with us i'm afraid yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow sarah where can people find us on social media speaking of being naturally good at it not really at all
1: you know well frankie you tell me that we are now on all the social medias including the new one threads threads on that's thread. the one at ah. red and buried podcast or you can email us at red and podcast at gmail.com.
2: fantastic well, just one more time. Thank you so much, it's Kate. It's Thank been you, such Kate. a pleasure. Everyone go out and buy the Mispa. Read all of Kate's back catalogue. Watch every episode of The Tower because season two is out. It's out now End soon, really soon. End of August. Oh, so exciting. Okay, cannot every wait soon. for that. And uh, we'll be back soon with another episode. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. Bye. Thanks everyone. Bye-bye. bye bye
0: Hey guys, my name is Tony Black, podcaster and author, and I'm here to tell you about Partisan, a podcast about politics and history in film and entertainment. I'll be joined by guests as we discuss films, TV shows, and
2: maybe a little bit more, examining political and historical topics, such as how
1: Elvis intersects with black cultural history.
0: In Lerman's film, the idea of the black characters are maybe kind of they're used as catalysts to
2: basically move elvis forward in his career i think that that's how i saw it
0: the rise and fall of richard nixon it seems to be historians seem to agree with this is that he was the first president that really capitalized on the evangelical vote and politicized them the disturbing class satire in society and much much more Partizan is free to download on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or your podcast app of choice. And you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Pod. I hope you'll vote with your feet and join us on the journey.